Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Sports Professor Rick Haro, and we are keeping score after an incredibly busy holiday season in the over trillion dollar business of sports. Let's get right to it. Deal making issues of the week, three to one. Number three, the LPGA readies for its 2020 kickoff. It kicks off its 2020 season in Lake Buena Vista, Florida at the Diamond Resorts Tournament of Champions presented by Iowa, a $1.2 million purse event similar to the PGA Tour's Century in that it's only open to 2019 tournament winners in two weeks. The LPGA and Group 1001 kick off its regular PGA Tour action with a new event in Boca Raton, Florida. The inaugural GameBridge LPGA at Boca Rio, held January 20 through 26 at Boca Rio Golf Club, and features a 108-player field competing for a $2 million purse. It's a key part of tournament week. The GameBridge LPGA at Boca Rio will host the Women's Leadership Summit presented by Verzent Health with top female leaders from a variety of industries, creating a space to empower women, develop and strengthen skills, build networks, and inspire change. That's number three. Number two, Endeavor acquired majority equity ownership stakes in experiential hospitality leader on-location experiences from existing investors. The Beverly Hills-based agency giant Endeavor announced it had acquired on-location. The reported $660 million deal gives Endeavor a majority stake in hospitality and live events company, which works with the NFL, NCAA, and the PGA Tour, among other entities. The NFL, through its strategic investment arm 32 Equity, will continue to be a minority shareholder and retain its seat on the company's board of directors. On location, will seek to enhance its existing sports and entertainment offerings, including its long-term relationship with the NFL, by leveraging Endeavor's access to content and experiences across entertainment, sports, and fashion. The deal will also help to strengthen Endeavor properties, including the UFC, which it acquired in 2016 for $4 billion. The deal is the latest in a flurry of acquisitions by major Hollywood talent agencies, and they expand into other entertainment disciplines, particularly music and sports, and that's number two. Number one, Sports World and Beyond remembers David Stern. Commissioner Stern took the NBA into the modern era over the course of his 30 years as commissioner after he assumed the role in 1984. And by the time he left the commissioner's office in 2014, a league that had once struggled for a foothold had grown into more than a $5 billion a year industry. The NBA's longest-serving commissioner, Stern, was credited with transforming the NBA into a global powerhouse it is today, overseeing major uplifts in commercial revenue and media coverage, domestic and international expansion, and a surge in global popularity. And under Stern, the NBA added seven new franchises, including two in Canada, and grew into a commercial behemoth. It also created the WNBA in 1997 and a developmental league now known as the G League in 2001. Thanks largely to Stern, the NBA is now revered as a sports industry pioneer and innovator. I had the privilege to work with Commissioner Stern on the formation of the Miami Heat and the eventual Oklahoma City Thunder, as well as interviewing him numerous times... He'll be greatly missed. That's number one. 
when you talk about sports and sponsorships, obviously David Stern, the behemoth, but the behemoth as far as sports advertising, the largest sports sponsor and investor ever, Anheuser-Busch. Biggest deals, biggest events. We remember the Budweiser sports commercials around Super Bowl time and Nick Kelly, head of U.S. sports marketing in Anheuser-Busch. His title is the VP of Partnerships, Beer Culture, and Community over the last five years. The NASCAR guy, he also was involved in many, many of these sports properties. A great perspective heading into the next level of NFL playoffs and the College Football National Championship, so many other events around the globe. Here's Nick Kelly. We finally got the sponsor that everybody wants. He's Nick Kelly. He's the head of U.S. marketing at Anheuser-Busch InBev. We'll talk about the relationship there in a minute. Nick, how are you? Doing great. Appreciate having me. Well, you've got the job that everybody wants because not only is it sipping beer during the day, but it's order-taking with all of these people that want the tremendous legacy that Tony Pontoro and others have created, deployed over the sports space as well. Talk a little bit about your business and what you do. Yeah, look, I mean, we're in a unique position because uh, we're one of the few products in sports marketing that you can actually enjoy at a sporting event. You know, I think that that puts us in a, in a unique position to not only activate at all the arenas and stadiums across the country, but on, on a national level from a broadcast perspective, social and digital space, it's, you know, it's a unique um, opportunity for us to really connect our brands with consumers at the highs and the lows. You know, at the highs when they're celebrating championships or spending time with friends and family to the lows of, you know, it was a disappointing loss or, you know, a record-breaking moment that was not in the positive light. You know, your team goes winless. Your team is uh, beaten game seven. You know, we're there for the good and the bad. So it's one of the very unique positions we're lucky to play, but it's also a lot of pressure because I think it's a competitive space and you want to be there for on the high side and on the other side and the low side too is give just as much attention to those partners as well. Well, and I've seen in my day a lot of creative names that people use for titles from corporate people. I must say VP of Partnership Beer Culture and Community takes the cake. Yeah. Describe the business from your perspective, therefore. Yeah, so it's a little bit of a unique um, uh, title because I, I oversee uh, all the partnerships in the U.S. that you would imagine, which are traditional sports, music, entertainment, but I also have all the experiences that are associated with our company as a beer culture. So it's the brewery tours, it's the Clydesdales, it's the licensing division that also like it connects our consumers. So anything that we connect our brands with, with the consumer, have it be uh, an event or a product that isn't, I basically oversee connecting consumers with everything but selling beer. Well, it's brand development and it's brand enhancement, so it makes a lot of sense, other than people uh, can give you a little bit of uh, grief about beer culture, which is a good good, uh, good time. It's fun, though, because the the reality is is that our goal is to make beer approachable and at all these fun events, and you know, we don't take it too seriously and too sophisticated, and we have a huge portfolio of products, so it's just that we can find the right product for any occasion. So, is it in the public domain? So if I wanted to change my from chairman of my company to like secretary of beer culture, would you push back? I wouldn't push back. I mean, I think that the thing for us is like I think I'm the only person in the world who has this title, so it makes it a little bit more unique. But at the same time, like if it became a thing, I'd be happy with it. So. Well, but it is unique because of your history in the sports space too. So yeah. talk about for a second before we get into the CSR activities. You guys, and again, Tony, uh, who's been in, the, uh, in, in my book and an icon, set the, the tone. It was sports sponsorships have been changed because of how AB involved mm-hmm. and changed it. Uh, so talk about kind of your as a trustee of the brand that has been nurtured for so many years. Yeah, look, I mean, I think it's we have a legacy. You know, it began in the early 80s that 
we use sports as a vehicle to drive awareness of, you know, our an affinity towards Budweiser, but then it helped launch and propel brands like Bud Light. You know, we basically used the MLB and uh, NFL and NBA and everything else to drive awareness and sampling of Bud Light in the 80s and 90s, and it was really one of the biggest growth vehicles for Bud Light. So, you know, taking that and the, the elements and tools they use from traditional awareness assets and kind of evolving them as technology and the space evolves to do the same thing with new brands. So Bud and Bud Light will still always be in those locations, but we're leveraging it for growth brands now like Michelob Ultra. We're using it for our local craft brands and those vehicles that are in place. It's, it's our job now to continue to find new ways to, to leverage those partners. Just and then we'll get into CSR. The activation and the brainstorming, the uh, the 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 Budweiser frogs. Everybody has a memory of Bud commercials through Super Bowls and beyond. Now the the nights. Uh, how is that all developed? I know the ad agencies come to you with a concept, and then you got to make sure the message sustains as well. Yeah, t- talk us through that process. Look, I mean, we have an extremely collaborative process. I mean, it's you know, it's teams of media buyers, obviously brand VPs, our CMO, uh, insights. Obviously, there's some regional intelligence, and then our clear portfolio of agencies. And it's everything from our social agency, our traditional creative agency, and everybody plays a role in the process. But it starts, you know, June, July. Like it isn't one of those things that we start in Q4 and roll into Super Bowl. Six months out, seven months out, we're having these conversations. We're testing concepts. But the bigger thing we always do is like, how does this set me up for success for all of the year? It's not just a flash in the pan. And that's the more challenging part is everybody can come up with fun ideas that are going to win the Super Bowl, but how does it help you win the entire year? And when you say win the entire year, I assume it used to be defined as volume of beer sales. And now I assume also there is this doing great by doing good uh, per, uh, permutation and, and also the involvement of social awareness, social responsibility. Tell me how that's all morphed. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think we, we're starting to use our vehicles. If you look like what we did with Super Bowl last year, yeah. uh, Budweiser ran literally a, a renewable energy spot about wind energy, and they had a uh, Clydesdale's drawn whore, uh, carriage with a Dalmatian on it whose wind was blowing, uh, face was blowing in the wind. And then all of a sudden, when you zoomed out, it could have been any Budweiser commercial, and it shows a big wind farm. And it pushes our sustainability message of our goal to be completely runoffs, um, you know, uh, renewable energy by 2026. So the goal for us is that we use these vehicles to drive that message because we're serious about it. And the broadest awareness messages we can get are still in our sports and broadcast partnerships. Well, and let's put in perspective, a 30-second ad today is $5 million. I don't remember what the number was in 2001, but the ad that everybody in the industry and out remembers is a 30-second ad after the uh, 2001, uh, the 9-11 Super Bowl and what that did for America that people may remember bigger than the game itself. So that is one of those things that you normally try to aspire to, I guess, when you create these ads. Well, I mean, look, I mean, even from like just a typical CSR stuff to doing the right thing, I think that, you know, we saw two things with Budweiser this year. One is they really got behind the Jackie Robinson uh, 100th anniversary yeah. and, and the movement there because I think that the big piece is, is there's still a whole generation of people who don't understand the role that Jackie Robinson played yeah. for baseball and just, you know, you know, unifying the league. The second one is, too, is in the sports, again, is taking a stand and getting behind women's soccer for us was that, you know, you know, it's a everybody watches the World Cup every year for women. The, the U.S. is the best by far, and then when they come back here, they're going back to regular jobs. And they, but there is a league out there that we want to help elevate. And while it's not a typical corporate responsibility thing, we as the leader in sports need to play a role in helping bring other partners in, and more than anything else, is is, is treating them the same way we treat other athletes. And, and so the good sport program. Describe that a little bit, too, and how it's resonated across several leagues. Yeah, the Good Sport program for us is is our way of responsible drinking in in venues. 
I think that years ago we had there was a huge epidemic in the 80s and 90s with drunk driving, and I think that it continues to show better trends year after year for you know because of a lot of different reasons. But the one thing we want to do from a role standpoint at a live sporting event was to find designated drivers to those who did show up and actually enjoy you know some of our products is that they had a safe way to get home. And it's not an incentive based thing, but it's very much a hey, we'll give you if you sign up and promise to be the designated driver, the good sport of the game, get a free water, get a free diet. Pepsi, whatever it may be, uh, but you're promising us that you will be a safe ride home for you and your friends. And that has been good for us, and it's an important role. We don't want a bunch of people showing up at these sporting events uh, over-consuming and mm. then all of a sudden driving home. Or even just, you know, it's yeah. still irresponsible to have more than one or two drinks anyway and drive as it is. So even if you feel like you're fine, it's important for us to play that that role because not for our partnerships and not for, you know, that one individual, but for more for the community. If we're providing this, we need to make sure we also provide an alternative to, to driving home. The sponsorship metrics aren't easy, but there is a way to analyze them, beer sales and the like, awareness and avidity and all of that. The social good measurements, a little tougher, but the campaigns you take on also are not easy to, to measure. Right. You know, you can't talk about reduction of drunk driving in any measurable way. Is it all anecdotal? Is it all intuitive? Do you feel good about these programs? How do you measure success? Yeah, look, I mean, I think it's always a moving target because for us right now, it was, you know, decades ago or even a decade ago, and it continues to be a problem, is always drunk driving. And while the numbers go down, it's not necessarily because we're doing a better job. We like to believe we are. But it's because the you know the invention of Uber and Lyft and all these other things. There's a lot more alternatives out there today, especially outside of big metropolitan areas, so you don't have to drive. So those things in and of themselves, those innovations have made you know the consumption of alcohol and getting home a lot easier and more convenient. So it's hard to put an ROI on it. But yeah. I think for us is that while the numbers go down, until it's at a zero, like it's still not 100 percent there. So. As the industry leader, and really you are the unquestionable industry leader, not only dollar volume, but history and legacy, as we said earlier, how do you create a template uh, for people to understand that evaluate the doing good versus the ROI and in some ways bring it together? Yeah, I mean, on our side, too, it's, it's, we have an in internal standard that a certain percentage of our total marketing package is going to go towards responsible drinking. So it's not negotiable. It's not like, hey, we're getting a great ROI on this yeah. Bud Light commercial, okay. so let's take from there and put it in there. It's because it's the right thing to do. I think the other part is, from our side, is that every year Budweiser's got some sort of responsibility message. Dating back to, you know, five or six years ago, they did the whole thing about getting a safe ride home and they used uh, their iconic uh, Dalmatian to show, like, hey, you want to make home so you can see your dog in the morning. So, like, yeah. stay the night at a friend's house or get a safe ride all the way up to what we're doing every year at, you know, from as small as being at the bars and giving. Like, we buy over New Year's, Thanksgiving, Christmas. We pay, basically, we will pay to tow your car back to your house and give you a safe ride home. Like, it's the right thing to do. The hardest thing for us is we have to invest marketing dollars for people to know those services are available. Because right. if they don't, it's, it's nice for us to say that they are, but if we're not promoting them, you know, we're not doing our part. And so as you develop future legacies that will transcend any one particular issue and you look ahead, how is the sports sponsorship world generally changing? And it's changing daily, and I think that especially you know in general because there's so many new sports. If you would have looked at this, you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, when we really started investing heavily behind sports, it was one us and one other person that were really you know going head to head in everything, and you were fighting over basically four major properties. Now you know with the growth of esports, the growth of college football, the growth of 
you know, rugby, lacrosse. There is so many more places now to, to, to spend your money and also more than anything else to activate. And you're hitting different types of consumers and fans across the board. So it's not as easy as saying, all right, I've got four leagues and I have, you know, 30 teams per league and that's my focus. It becomes, it's very regionally led now. And it's very much like if you said you're all in on baseball, there's certain markets where baseball, even if it has a team, baseball is the sixth most important thing there and the college football team is number one. So getting those insights has become more and more challenging and then the frag- fragment of just like the properties in the marketplace. And another industry leader question. So as you create the standard and know that all of these programs are requesting Anheuser-Busch dollars either for signage or for whatever, it's just let's write the check. Right. It's got to be a signal that gone are the days where my CEO is going to play with yours and we're going to cut some kind of anecdotal deal. Yeah. Look, I mean, and that's it. I mean, a lot of the relationship-based stuff, uh, I wouldn't say it's gone, but it's, it's, it's doesn't bring as much value anymore because the sophistication behind what is in the sponsorship space today versus what was here even a year ago, five years ago, is much is much deeper. And the other part is, too, is more people are more keen to how this works on the traditional business side of every company. So they're looking for a real ROI. They don't, they're not looking for they're showing up at a baseball game, sitting behind home plate and seeing their sign and, like, this works. Like, it doesn't work that way anymore. How did your work uh, at and with uh, NASCAR uh, help you get a perspective as you came over here? Man, I can't tell you a single place if, if you're going to work on the brand side where you'll ever deal with more brands. Like, it's the one place you're going to deal with. You know, there's thousands of brands in the sport of NASCAR. They all have a different reason for being there and different objectives. So to see the different reasons why people invest in sports, and especially a sport like NASCAR, uh, was like probably the best way to kind of really jumpstart my career in sports marketing. And you know, the irony is that now you go from an industry – where you're driving to champion responsible driving. Yeah, look, I think it's the one, the one thing that's like the biggest oxymoron ever is like, I always, internally we have this conversation, it's like, NASCAR race cars are going 180, 200 miles an hour, and they're like, do you really want to put a beer logo on top of that car? Yeah. So we actually do, we spend a lot of time uh, in that sport, at least investing behind like responsible drinking, because like, look, we're championing you as a fan of NASCAR, I'm not championing like, put a bud in your car while you're watching this guy, so it's a tough, it's a tough balance to strike. So, um, Randy Moss, Brian Lefwich, Chad Pennington, Nick Kelly, huh. the four most influential guys in Marshall sports history? No, not at all. I mean, I think that the, <clears throat> I was fortunate enough to go to a university that was good at football at the time, uh, and they're still good now. But I think that, you know, they really, from 96 on, they had a, a run. It was, and to your point, Marshall, uh, Randy Moss, Chad Pennington, Lefwich, Amon Bradshaw. Like, True. we have a, a good run. I think that, you know, we also just have it's a good community. And it, it helped me, too, though, is that you know, we're in a space now is that, you know, it's a small town, it's a small college town, and our core consumer that drinks at the highest volume of our product is in those small towns. So we, it helps me in my job day to day. Ladies and gentlemen, a thundering herd prepares him to maximize demographic targeting at the job that he loves. Nick, thank hey, you very thank much. You so much. Appreciate it. Really appreciate Absolutely. it. Great perspective on sports partner, partnerships and sponsorships as we move into a new era. The trillion-dollar sports business fueled by it like never before. Let's do deal with the sports tech minute as we move forward. Here is the sports tech issues in a minute. The biggest sports business winners of 2019, Russell Wilson, the Lakers, and Amazon.
According to Forbes, Wilson has his seventh Pro Bowl appearance, ranking him among the leading active players. He also played a role in efforts to bring an MLB team to Oregon. And over the summer, he joined the ownership group that brought Joe Roth's stake in the MLS Seattle Sounders into the fold. And further, Wilson signed a record-setting contract worth $140 million over four years. He ranks number 14 in the Forbes Sports Money Index. And meanwhile, the Amazon number 12 SMI accounts, which measures the importance of business relationships throughout the sports world, thanks to its athlete sponsorship and the new agreements with the NFL and MLB, the Lakers jumped five spots, number four, thanks to acquiring Anthony Davis. They're currently rocking a 27-7 and record as of the beginning of January have a tight rivalry with the hometown rivals, the Clippers. While Nike, Barcelona, and LeBron James remain the top three on Forbes' SMI list, watch out for the tech companies to keep climbing in the coming year. And that's your Sports Tech Minute. Finally, the power of sports in a minute. The NBA set to start a historic league in Africa. According to USA Today, the NBA is building a basketball ecosystem in Africa. Last month's scouting combine in New York was an integral step in its inaugural season. The Basketball Africa League, BAL, slated to start in March 2020, and the NBA's first league collaboration with FIBA to operate outside North America. The NBA's had initiatives in Africa for years, including basketball without borders camps around the continent in 2003 and an NBA office in Johannesburg in 2010. The NBA Academy Africa, which opened in 2017. The NBA has also sold out games played in Africa for years and has an imprint with various charity organizations through NBA Cares for decades. Each of the BAL's 12 teams will have a 16-man roster, 12 active and 4 inactive, with at least 8 players who are citizens of their respective teams, home country, up from 4 from other countries, including those who are big names and smaller names. Each team can have a maximum of 2 players from outside Africa. The goal of creating BAL in Africa not only to invest in local talent, but to create an entire system that allows the league to run efficiently from the ground up, while also creating jobs within African countries. And that's your Power of Sports Minute. Well, that's it for this week. We'd like to thank everybody who contributed to the show, and last but clearly not least, to the memory of David Stern. Join us next week when we continue to keep score. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. Assistance provided by Carlos Swadek, Tanner Simpkins, Reuters Digital. I'm Ricardo. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.